0: Hello and welcome back to Tectonic, a show in which we look at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times in London. In this episode, we hear from an American singer-songwriter who has invented a new digital platform to support creative artists. There are a lot of organizations that have membership
1: institutions and actually that's a great source of revenue for them. So what if we made that tech and made it available to artists so they could run their own memberships? That was the idea.
0: That was Jack Conte, the co-founder and chief executive of Patreon. He came into our studio on a recent trip to London to tell me about how Patreon enables thousands of artists to receive a steadier income from modern-day patrons. So, Jack, all startups have their creation myths. Sometimes they're even true. Tell us, how did Patreon
1: get created? Patreon started about six years ago. And it came from, I guess, my own personal need to solve this problem of what I call the discrepancy between what creators are worth and what creators get paid at the end of the month for making the things that they make. And in particular for me, I had just spent about three months working on a music video. That was a very elaborate music video. I drained my savings account to make this video. I spent over so 10000 video. It had a 3D printed hexapod robot <laughs> in it. It had an animatronic head that was singing the lyrics to the song. I built a replica of Millennium Falcon Cockpit uh, as a set behind me. I went all out on this video. And... Yeah, I knew I'd post it online. I'd get about a million views, which is what my videos usually got when I was posting them at the time. And my paycheck for that through ad revenue was going to be about 150 bucks, maybe 200 bucks. Mm. And I looked up before posting this video and I just thought, I can't stomach this anymore. I can't deal with this gap between the impact that I feel like I'm having as an artist. I mean, the comments, the engagement from the community, the response from the fans. You know, we were affecting people's lives with our work. And they told us so. And then we get paid a few hundred bucks. And that just seemed off. And to realize that that's happening globally at scale with podcasters and reporters and YouTubers and anybody who puts... Content, which is a word I hate, but something that, that folks say. Anyone who puts content online is dealing with this problem. That's what Patreon is solving.
0: And are we, in a way, going forward to the past? I mean, is this the way that patronage used to work in the medieval times or whatever? You had the Medici's sponsoring artists.
1: Exactly. In fact, I think what is weird, when people look at Patreon's model, and they say, hmm, that's weird. My response is always, actually... Patreon is kind of how every great piece of art we've ever seen or heard of or studied in history books was made. It was made because some wealthy individual or institution found a talented artist and said, here's a bag of coins, go make more cool stuff. And that's how great art has been created. It's only really in the last hundred years that artists started packaging and selling their media on physical goods that unit sales has kind of taken over as the predominant financial mechanism to drive the production of art.
0: But clearly the major difference is that you're using technology. So you have crowdsourced funding, as it were. So you have patrons who don't know the artists that you're helping to sponsor. So that gives it another new twenty first century dimension, doesn't it? Exactly. Instead of
1: a creator depending on one wealthy individual or institution, they can depend on thousands and thousands of their fans. And if each fan kicks in five bucks or ten bucks, actually the average payment on Patreon is twelve dollars per month per patron. You can imagine if you get a thousand people doing that, you're making over ten thousand dollars a month. That's a really great living for creative people.
0: And you're not just a video creator. you also, I believe, a singer-songwriter, and you sang in a group called Pomplamoose, Yeah, Pomplamoose, Yeah, uh, Tell us about that. Yeah, so Pomplamoose is a duo with my wife
1: and me, and she sings and plays bass, and I fill in the gaps and do production and audio engineering and mixing and mastering and production, stuff like that. And yeah, we've been around for about 10 years uploading music videos to YouTube. All right,
0: we'll get you to sing a bit later. <laughs> now, I want to understand exactly how this model works. So you're a Singer for Pomplemoose, and you are a bit annoyed that you're not earning enough money given your great creative output. How does Patreon help you make money? So what
1: we did is at the end of this three-month period where I was producing that wild music video, I sketched out an idea and the thought was, what if what if my fans just gave me a buck a month? What if I had a page where fans could become members? Much like people become members of The Guardian or WBEZ in Chicago. Or SFMOMA. There are a lot of organizations that have membership institutions, and actually that's a great source of revenue for them. So what if we made that tech and made it available to artists so they could run their own memberships? That was the idea. I called up my freshman year roommate. He got super excited about it. He built the entire thing by himself in three months. And then within about two weeks of launching, we put up this page. We said, hey, if you want to become members and pay us a buck a month to do our thing, please do that. And within two weeks, I was making a little over $5,000 per month directly from my fans for not changing anything, just continuing to make music videos.
0: And what kind of range of artists do you have on your platform?
1: It's all kinds of folks now. The biggest categories are music and podcasting, webcomics, illustration. There's writing. There's long-form journalism. We have an NBA reporter. We have a NASCAR reporter. We've got folks who are doing tutorials and drawing tutorials. We've got folks who do music videos and some who do music. It's across the gamut. So it's all types of media.
0: And do people live off the earnings that they get or is it really a kind of supplement to their main activity?
1: A lot of creators have multiple revenue sources. Many of them are still doing brand deals and some of them have ad revenue from whatever they're doing. In general, we find that Patreon pays folks anywhere from 50 to 200 times what they might expect from ad revenue. So it's becoming a dominant source of income for a lot of folks who were previously just getting paid via ad revenue, but different creators and different creator types have different business models. So, you know, many of them have other streams of income as well.
0: Right. How many artists are on Patreon at the moment?
1: There's a little over 100,000 financially active creators. That's creators who are getting payments every month. And they mostly in the US. It's about 60% in the U.S., and then about 40% of the payments are overseas. And actually, that's a huge opportunity for creators and for Patreon in the future, because we only operate in English right now and in dollars. And I mean, our creators are begging us <laughs> to uh, you know, to do currency conversion and language translation. So that's something on the roadmap
0: that we want to do in the next few years. Tell me about the patron side of the equation. Who are the people who typically donate money?
1: There's two reasons that a person becomes a patron and wants to actually become a member to a creator's organization. The first is they want the stuff. They want the exclusive access, the community, the early view of the blog post or the extra blog posts, the extra photos. Creators can build tiers and then they load benefits into those tiers. And a lot of members become members for those benefits. But then there's a second reason, which is the feeling of supporting a creator and voting with your dollars and doing something freaking good for the world and for creativity and for the arts. That feels good good and it would be impossible to talk about membership without that feeling that's a big piece of it and so the overlap of the benefits that you get as a member and the good feeling of doing something that's important for the world I think is why people become members and that's what motivates members
0: and did they often have kind of input into the creative process themselves do they suggest? songs or articles or books that they want their artists to write or produce or create?
1: Yes, sometimes. And sometimes creators are not into that, right? There's a lot of creators who, one of the reasons they use Patreon is because they want full control of their art. They don't want a record label telling them what kinds of songs to write or they don't want to sign up to a multi-channel network that's influencing their output in some way. So many of them are completely independent and including independent from influence of their fans. They just want to make the stuff they want to make. And then some of them let their fans suggest songs for them to cover or ideas for their next blog post. And a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the artists are more collaborative with their fan base.
0: Did the record labels, do they just use you as a cheap form of discovery? Do they sign up your artists that you have helped to surface and then snaffle all the income for themselves?
1: You know, interestingly, Patreon, I would say the function that we play in the ecosystem is not so much discoverability We're not in the business of helping creators find fans. What we do really well is taking creators who have fans and helping them get members. It sounds like a subtle difference, but it's different enough that it's a completely different set of products, a completely different strategy. It means that the internal dynamics of the company are very different in terms of the people that we hire, um, in terms of headcount by department, all that changes from that subtle change in strategy. So no, I mean, Patreon isn't really an audience building platform. We help creators who have an audience
0: get paid. Who are you most proud of having discovered?
1: Gosh, there's one crater. I have images on my laptop. There's one crater from about mm, they signed up about 3 years ago and actually it's a little bit like this. They've got four microphones at a kitchen table, but it's a kitchen. And they launched on Patreon, started making $25,000 per month on their page. So they set up a second Patreon page and a new channel of content, this time talking about games. They started making another $25,000 per month. So at that point, then we were sending them over $50,000 per month. Actually, just recently, they did a huge initiative and grew even further. But now when you go to their Studio they have I think like over 15 or 20 employees. They have a full sound stage with a beautiful screen behind them They have multiple cameras set up. They have six flat screens and editing bays I mean they're building a media company and Gosh, that makes me feel so motivated and excited because, you know, you can't do that on ad revenue. The mechanism just isn't there to support that level of intensity and production. And yeah, to be able to contribute to something like that is really meaningful. So you really think you're democratizing
0: the creative process in a way? Exactly that. Okay, let's turn to the business side of Patreon, which intrigues me. How do you make money out of this? So Patreon takes 5% of processed pledges
1: as our platform fee. And then there's transaction fees, too, that creators pay as well to actually run payments and things like that. So as a creator, you end up taking home, you know, 88 to 90 percent of the
0: payments from patrons. As I understand it, in 2017, there was a bit of a row between you and some of the patrons when you tried to charge them additional charges for that. Can you talk us through that? What happened there?
1: Sure. That was the worst product rollout in Patreon's history. And we learned a lot of important lessons from that. Here's what we did. And I won't get into the specifics of why but we were attempting to basically change the way we run payments and so we added a transaction fee onto a patron's pledge. This really angered patrons, especially patrons who were paying a dollar, cuz it raised by, you know, percentage amount it raised their pledges considerably. We ended up rolling back the change because there was such an uproar from the community. So we said, "Okay, we're not going to do this. But yeah, we learned a couple important lessons. I think the most important of which is, look, these are our creators' businesses. This is their business and patrons are their customers. We can't wedge ourselves between them and their customers. We have to give them choice and give them opt-in functionality. So if they want to make changes and message them to their customers, they can. But that's not our role. So, yeah, that was actually a really formative rollout for us. I'm sorry that we did it and that it caused people pain. And I wrote an apology blog post. But we also did learn a lot through that. And I think we're a better
0: company for it. Does it tell you something about the economics of platforms as well in that? We've seen this in many other areas that people will sign up to platforms and then once those network effects have been created and they're effectively captive to the platform, then they are dependent on them so that you can charge or you could charge whatever you wanted. Is that a problem? I think it's a problem. (laughs) Um, Yes. It's hard not to use Facebook.
1: It's hard not to use YouTube precisely because of network effects. It's hard not to use a telephone telephones are valuable because everybody uses telephones. So, yeah, that is definitely a problem. And I think it gives companies a lot of leverage. And in Patreon's case, we have a thing internally called core behaviors. A lot of companies have core values. We have core behaviors. Our first core behavior is put creators first. As Patreon scales, we want to make sure that creator centrism and that creator focus scales with the company. It's where we came from. We came from creative people and from that viewpoint of trying to solve problems for creative people. And we don't want to let scale hurt our ability to do that. And it surfaces in all kinds of ways. For example, Instead of trapping people on the platform, which is like if you're on YouTube and your fans are on YouTube, you don't really have access to your fans. You can't really reach them. On Patreon, we give you the email addresses of all of your members. So when a fan becomes a member, you get their email. Not only that, you get an exportable database as a CSV file. And if you want to email all those people and move them to another platform, you can absolutely do that. And I think having features like that baked into the platform, while it's technically probably bad for Patreon, I think in the long run it's good for us because it holds our butts over the fire and forces us to continue to make creator-first decisions and make sure our community is happy and satisfied with the
0: product. But I imagine that you're also coming under pressure from the other side because you've taken in VC money and your investors obviously have uh, invested in this business, and they want a good financial return. Presumably at some point they want an exit or an IPO. So... You've got to balance the whole time these two competing forces, don't you? The relationship that you have with the creators, but the need to make a return for your investors.
1: Yeah, I think the hardest thing about my job is it's not even those two sides that you mentioned. I mean, those are two sets of interests, but there are more sets of interests. There's also the interests of our employees and our employee base, there's also the interests of our partners, there's also the interests of all of our patrons. There's all these different groups of people who need and want and like or don't like various decisions that Patreon makes. And yeah, at the end of the day, the buck stops with me to make the right decisions and not everyone's gonna be happy about those decisions all the time. But yeah, it is something that I think about constantly is how do we juggle all of these competing interests? Again, it comes back to that core behavior of putting creators first. All of our investors signed up to that culture and that behavior and me as a founder, right? So for example, when we started working with our last investor who led our B round and our C round, I said to them, hey, I'm not gonna sell Patreon. So if you're looking for a quick flip, this is the wrong company to invest in. I was actually really scared to say that <laughs> to our investor because I thought they were gonna be like, well, F it, we're out. Like, They didn't say that and we we ended up getting the deal done, but. I'm pretty clear about my intentions, and I think as long as I'm clear about that, then I think, we'll at least everyone's being honest and like, transparent. You do want ever to sell. I don't want to sell Patreon to another culture. I'm totally okay with the idea of Patreon being a publicly owned company. But I think the problem with being absorbed by another culture is, at the end of the day, it's about the priorities. And if Patreon were owned by a platform whose main KPI is watch time, You know, everyone in the company is geared toward trying to create more watch time on the platform or more time spent or something like that. That's in conflict with our mission of getting more creators to make a living. And I don't see those resolving over the long term. So, yeah, for that reason, actually, that reason alone, that's the main reason. I don't think Patreon could achieve our mission if we were nested underneath another culture and company.
0: And who has the majority of the voting shares at the moment?
1: In terms of ownership percentage of the company, it, yeah, we've raised four plus somewhere around four rounds, seed, A, B, C. So yeah, my co-founder and I don't own the majority of the company anymore. The way we've structured the board, I think, is really nice. We have two independent directors: Goalie Shaikhol Slami, who is the CEO of WBEZ, Dick Costello, who's the former CEO of Twitter, and then we have two VCs on the board, and then we have me and my co-founder. And for key decisions like that, you vote on key decisions. So I guess I would separate ownership from voting rights on the board. And the way we've structured the board, I think, is very thoughtful and balanced and I think will yield good outcomes for creators. Uh
0: So Patreon users can be assured that you really are going to be defending their interests?
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, that's the reason I get up in the morning. Okay.
0: Now, the other controversy that surrounded Patreon was to do with free speech. And I mean, this affects every platform that's out there at the moment. But you took down a anti-feminist campaigner, I believe, so that they couldn't raise money on your platform. And that did cause a bit of a backlash from some of your other users, notably Sam Harris, the podcaster and polemical atheist, I think he calls himself. Tell us what happened there. What was the issue and how did you resolve that? Yeah. Patreon has zero tolerance for bigotry,
1: racism, racial slurs. We don't tolerate that at all. Uh, I feel less apologetic about that than I do about other things. I just think that's really important and an important thing to stand for. We want to build a platform that's safe for anybody, no matter your race or your background or your ideology. There's a small amount of very loud, very opinionated creators who are not okay with that. They believe that you should Be able to say and almost do anything that's legal. We disagree. I disagree. Yeah, we're not going to let people use racial slurs and be bigoted on the platform and raise money for that. So we ended up taking the creator's page down. There was backlash from that community. There still is, actually, it's lingered. But I feel pretty clear about this decision and I'm definitely at peace with it.
0: Right. And one of the ways that you identify bad content is that you use human judgment on that. You're not outsourcing it to algorithms in the way that some other platforms are doing it. That must be incredibly time intensive. So why are you going down that route? Is it not possible to automate some of this stuff?
1: It is incredibly expensive. It's 10% of Patreon's team by headcount. We're about 170 folks. Uh So it's a big team in the company. We also have a support team that answers email tickets. And you know, last year there was a period of time where we were literally answering 15 or 16,000 emails per month from fans. And all that is done by humans. We also have a creator success team, entirely humans, and a creator care team, entirely humans. And yeah, this is something that I think a lot of people don't understand or appreciate about Patreon. We are not a big platform, automate everything kind of company. We view ourselves as a SaaS platform. We view ourselves as people who are helping these small business media companies grow and scale and run their memberships. And because of that, it affects like how many people we hire, what types of people we hire. For example, 40% of the people at Patreon are not product or engineering. They're operations folks. And so, yes, we spend a lot of time working one on one with creators, coaching them, helping them understand the content policy. And actually 90% of the TMV, we call it total membership volume. That's the payments to creators. 90% of the TMV that gets escalated through some content policy issue. In other words, there's a question about whether or not this content is suitable for Patreon. 90% of it gets saved by our team. And you can imagine selfishly we're incentivized to do. We want to keep them on the platform. And so we work with them and educate them and coach them. They'll ask questions, hey, is this okay? I did this. And we'll say, ah, actually, technically that's a violation. Maybe do this next time. And you know, actually, a lot of them are very grateful because on other platforms, they get some automated email that says, you violate our content policy, we're kicking you off. Um, and on Patreon, you literally get on the phone with somebody and, and talk about the content policy. And I just think it's a much more humanistic, creator-first system of doing content policy, which is why we do it, even though it's incredibly expensive.
0: Now, I've been reading some fascinating chats about users of Patreon. One school says that it's a fantastic way of absolutely engaging with your audience and you get amazing feedback and you know that this audience is amazingly engaged in what you're doing. There's another school that says that it does stifle some of the creativity, um, that the fact that you have such a direct relationship with your fans can sometimes be quite oppressive Do you recognize both of those two schools of thought and do you have a sense of which one prevails?
1: Absolutely. That's a hard problem as a creator. I would say that it's independent of the platform on which you are operating. I think any person who puts work out into the world has to juggle similar things that I have to juggle as a CEO, which is, okay, am I going to grow my audience more, but maybe this is a thing that I'm a little less excited about? Or on the other hand, you know, I'm going to totally ignore my audience and what they want and what they like. And I'm just going to do what's in my heart. And those are two completely different schools of thought. I do think it's independent of the platform that you're distributing your content on. But from a creator's perspective, look, if you're getting paid every month, yeah, there is some pressure. And I don't think that's different, say, than... When you're a musician and you're supposed to come out with an album every two years, there's a lot of pressure. You want to make the great album and a lot of musicians choke under that pressure because it's hard to deal with that. So, yeah, I absolutely recognize that problem as a creative person. I guess my advice would be, and this I try to do with my own creative projects, it's to just, if you get too precious about things... (laughs) If you let it affect you too much, then you end up stifling yourself. The best approach I've found is just to just put stuff out, to just be free with it. Take risks. Try a little thing here. Don't get too disappointed if it doesn't work. Try something else. Keep going. And if you can temper your own local disappointments and dissatisfaction, you can temper that with your long-term belief in yourself and conviction about your creative direction and your work. So that's what I try to do. I encourage other creators to do that. But gosh, easier said than done.
0: <laughs> so you would really like... Patreon to be encouraging, risk-taking rather than deterring it.
1: I actually think as a system, Patreon does do that because these are people who have subscription pledges. It's very rare that a creator makes a video that is so risky or different or out of their wheelhouse that their fans say, forget it, I'm unsubscribing, I'm not going to be a member anymore. That doesn't happen because of that subscription pledge, I think it frees creators up a little bit actually to take some risks and to try some new things.
0: Yeah. Final question, but are there any schools of talent that you found or particular trends or artists that you have helped discover who you think would not have surfaced without Patreon?
1: Yeah, I think the category of folks who would not have surfaced without Patreon, it's it's a couple things. One It's people who have a lot of resonance with a smaller community. There are people who have huge communities on Patreon. They do really well, too. But in terms of people who wouldn't maybe be able to make a living, if you have 10,000 fans on YouTube and they absolutely love you, you're not making any money via ad revenue. But if you convert 10% of those people and they're paying you 10 bucks a month, you're making a really good living. And so sometimes we see creators with like a really small but very excited, passionate community, and those folks do really, really well on Patreon. The other category of folks is people who just really love their fans and whose fans really love them back, no matter the size or the genre or if it's video or podcasting or whatever. If there's that mutual strong connection between fan and creator, gosh, those folks just do so well on the platform. And as a creator,
0: how do you show your patrons that you really love them? You answer
1: comments. You do a t-shirt contest that's made of fan art. You heart a fan comment every once in a while. You make a video talking to your fans. You make an extra post for just your patrons that is a little bit more vulnerable and is a little bit riskier than maybe something you would post on Facebook. You talk about your fans and how grateful you are for them. You show them that you're a real person and not some genius artist that sits on a cloud and is better than everybody else. Yeah, there's a number of things, but just people who are generally appreciative, they find ways to show that to their fans.
0: All right, great. Thank you very much, Jack. For sure, thank you. We'll be back with another episode of Tectonic next week. In the meantime, do let us know what you think of our show, you can email us at tectonic at ft.com. And if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, then take a look at our subscriber offers at ft.com forward slash offer. This episode of Tectonic was produced by Fiona Simon.